Hello everyone, oh. welcome back to the new Uppsala podcast. My name is Rain Raven, I got Sigvard Ufar, and then I got White Wolf. We're on episode 6 of the new Uppsala podcast, and Sigvard Ufar is going to tell us what the topic of discussion for this week's episode is going to be about. Thank you for turning in, and enjoy the show. Woody doody hoo! Okay, um... So I got questions about this shit. I got questions about this uh, this week, and I've received questions about it in the past. The creation of the dwarves' gifts to the gods um, and that storyline. And I honestly believe it came about from the Marvel movie Thor, the Thor Ragnarok one, where they forged Stormbreaker, and Peter Dinklage is up there as a massive fucking dwarf, and he's super cool, and he nailed the part. Don't get me wrong. Nailed it, and super cool to get the... Infinity War, not Ragnarok sure that ragnarok um, is where he uh mjolnir was destroyed by hell or in marvel hella listen it's really hard and as every heathen amongst the world right now knows it's very hard to be two things a heathen and a marvel fan but we make yeah. it i'm doing great are you I'm fantastic. I'm going crazy. Marvel characters. I've got this. When people are like, so is Thor like ripped? And I'm like, he's the opposite of ripped. (laughs) He he probably like ripped his like underwear. (laughs) I was going to say the belt button button for his pants. He he ripped through his belt. Okay, that's another thing we can go into is what for should look like versus what Marvel made him. Okay, one step at a time. Anyways, um, so I received questions about that, and I think it came about from that Marvel movie where Thor and the dwarf forge Stormbreaker. His super cool axe thing. And then Groot grabs it, and it was super fun, and it was great. Um, he does? I think it came about from that. Yeah, what? Oh, I didn't rewatch that. Yeah, Groot, like, makes the handle for it. It's super dope. I mean, he is Groot. Yeah. Totally. Nerds. Um, um, anyways, oh, sorry, so I get questions about that. Who plays D&D, though? I do. Yeah. So I am the nerd. former absolute obsessed D&D player, but since I've come to where I am, I do not play anymore. So Because you got World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, that's because you play World of Warcraft, okay? Sure. Aggressively and in such a sense that I am better than all of you. I believe you because you played like two hours. listening, I'm better than you. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so I got questions about that. Like, where did Mjolnir actually come from? And that dives into a whole topic of this story where... Yeah, should I just tell the story real quick or sum it up? Okay. If you can, yeah. We're, yeah. It's um, so, and this is where Mjolnir comes from. This is the story of Loki cutting Sif's hair and the massive... Uh, repercussions for him that it has. And then he weaseled his way out of it like he always does. Um, so, Loki one night decides he's going to cut off Sif's hair while Thor's away. Or Thor was sleeping next to her and Loki's just slick as shit. Anyways, Loki cuts Sif's hair. And Thor's obviously pissed. And the gods are pissed. 
because Sif's hair was this beautiful flowing gold blonde mane of perfection. Um, so they, yeah, I'm into blondes. You can tell. Um, so Thor tells Loki he's going to fix it. And the gods side with Thor on that. So Loki goes to the sons of Avaldi. He says, I need you to make Sif's hair and we'll make this competition of sorts and something like that. And does his thing. And they make three items. Um, Sif's hair, the golden hair. Dungnir, Odin's spirit. Jeez, I had to actually look at my tattooed arm to remember the name of that. And Skidbladnir, the, the sailing ship that always receives fair winds. Now, Loki, knowing that he could probably get more if he tried hard enough and was wily enough as a little coyote that he is, went to Brook, which is another dwarf, and said, Hmm, do you think your brother could make things that could challenge these? And I'll make you a wager. If you win, you can take my head. Broke obviously agrees to this and takes Loki to his brother. Let's hold on. I can't ever remember his it's name. It's Itri or Sintri, depending on the translation. Itri, uh, yeah. So in the Penguin Classics one, we'll plug. Um, it's Itri. Um, so Itri is actually the forge master of this area. He's very, very renowned for his craft. He's very good at his craft. And Broke's job is actually moving the bellows, and that's about it. Broke doesn't wield a, just swing the hammer. He doesn't help forge anything. He just pumps bellows all day, so he's probably jacked. Um, but in the process of E3 forging three items, which are Dropnir, Golenbursti, and... Neonir, Thor's hammer. And Loki decides to pester him over these three items. I believe it goes the Golenbristi, the boar first, and then it is Dropnir, and then Thor's hammer is the last one. Golden bristle, drippings. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Neonir transfer or translates to. Short hammer. Yeah. Boomstick. Um, Boomstick. <laughs> um, so in the process of them forging this, Loki notices that, yeah, if they complete these perfectly, there's going to be an issue. So first he bites Broke. As Broke is pumping the bellows, his brother says, this forge cannot die. You have to pump the bellows consistently or this shit falls apart. Um. The first time, he bites, where is it? Uh, Brooke's neck. Neck, and then his eyelids for the second one. So while they're forging Golden Bristy, Golden Bristle, he bites Brooke's neck as the, in the form of a fly, like a horse fly. Bites Brooke's neck, and shit gets a little fucked up. But not bad. Still works out. His brother can fix that. So that one goes off without a hitch, and Loki goes, well, shit. If they keep doing this, they're going to win this bet, and I'm going to lose my head. So on the second one, with the gold, or no, the gold is first, actually. Yeah, I so lied. it's uh, Gulenbursti, uh, 
Loki bites Brooke's hand. Um, nevertheless, he still pumps the fan. So the bellows, if anyone's not tracking what that is, it's simply yeah. just a fan that keeps on stroking the fire to keep it hot. Now, we mentioned he'd be ripped, and keep in mind, at the time, bellows would be so massive that they're uh, made by, they're basically connected by feet, not by hands. Because the massive structure of them, people would be holding onto a bar and pushing themselves down onto essentially an accordion that self inflates. So he may be ripped, and maybe his arms, but frankly, his legs would be like so on yeah. level. Yeah. So dwarf stuff. So he bites Brooke's hand and then his neck, and then he lands in between his eyes and starts to bite his eyelids on Thor's hand, Mjolnir. And during that, Brooke finally goes, well, I gotta get this fly off. So he, on the downward stroke, removes his hand and brushes the fly away. But at that moment, they lose a little bit of heat. And Mjolnir is slightly, not demented, but a little demented. And the handle ends up being shorter than it was supposed to be. And not being as great a weapon or a greatest tool as it could have been. So they go back to Asgard. Um, E3 hands all these things to Brooke and says, you go with Loki, tell me what they decide. Um, they go back to Asgard. Thor, Odin, and Frey are to be judges of this context between the Sons of Ivaldi and E3 and Brooke. They ultimately decide that Mjolnir was the winning factor of all of it, being that it was the greatest weapon against the Jotuns, or the Rhine Giants, if you will. So they decide he's the winner. Now, Loki lost that bet. So, Loki, in turn, says, runs away. He fucking takes off across land and sea, has these special shoes that let him run on water and run through the air, and it's super cool. Um, but then Brogue tells Thor, you better go get him, or this is going to be a bigger issue between deals made. So Thor goes and gets him, and brings him back, and they tell Brogue he has the right to Loki's head. And then Loki says his famous line of some of Loki's most famous lines of fine, you can have my head, but you cannot have my neck. That spikes the debate of where does the neck start and where does the head begin or where did that all happen? So they ended up so broke ends up sewing Loki's lips together with a piece of leather. And yeah, super cool story. But some people get confused by that and where all those things come from. And there's some interesting parts of this story outside of what I described that can be brought up. I don't know. I have read this story countless times. I don't know if I've ever read the version in the process. Really? Really? Like, like that sounds like some like Saturday morning cartoon shit. Like, I feel like I know the death behind the bets, why the neck was bet, all these things, and why it came down to a dwarf against a dwarf. Like, there are so many other levels of this story. That I mean, like, we're gonna talk about that. We're not gonna have the depth, but like, absolutely. Like, when you said it, I was like, I'm confused on why we're going to talk about this. Like, this is such a straightforward thing. Like, no, I've had questions. I'm like, what version is happening right now? So, like, this Penguin Classic Pros Edda, I don't know if I've ever read this version of it. And it's so direct and so, like, cliff note. It's crazy to me. So, it's going to be weird. Let's bring it up. 
let's go. So what do you have to bring up? For, like, what, what's the biggest question? What's the one that you want to bring up? No, I'm, I'm more confused on uh, what's, what's the question you get most often on this. Um, I mean, it was like, where did Mjolnir come from or something like that? Like, what's, so what's that the where it starts? Is the where did Mjolnir come from? Who made Mjolnir? Why is it depicted as this heavy? What is the purpose of that? And they go off on that tangent, and I tell the story, and then they're like, "So wait, what's Skid Gladnir? Where's this? What? When did Odin get Gungnir? When did this happen? How did this happen? Who's broken Ethri or Sutri or Sundri or whatever it is? Who's the sons of Aval? And then it just devolves into deep dive into the story, which is, I think, where you're getting at. Of there's so much more to this like cliff note version of it than is talked about, and those are where those a lot of those questions start. Is people are like, "Where did Mjolnir come from?" And then it's like, "Oh wait, Thor has this belt and these gauntlets, and that's how he picks up Mjolnir and uses it." And then there's this and there's that, and Golenbristi is known as this, and turns oh, into chaos. So, so it's purely of um. They didn't know there was a story behind it. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Is they're like, oh, didn't Thor always have Mjolnir? And I'm like, no. He was, you know, instead of having a bow and arrow, he then got a 50 cal rifle. Yeah, essentially. Tank Buster! <laughs> or as you're going to call it, tanks. What? A Jotun's a tank. It's a Tank Buster. Oh, okay. Makes sense now that you explained it. And, okay, so we're going to break this up so we're not so chaotic, even though we are. Um, do you want to talk about the gifts or the people involved? First, not entirely. So there's a lot to dig into with the people involved and possibilities as to who else was involved in that. Um, I think gifts. Yeah, I think we should go through the gifts first and what they actually do and how important they really are. I think that and would be a good... There's a reference to a dark elf being a dwarf, and we're not getting into that right now, so that's cool. That's a fun conversation, though. Not tonight, because I have to wake up at 1.30. Me too. Oh, wait, mine's p.m. Mine's a.m. Oh... People are so mad at me right now. They're looking at me right now. <laughs> so, okay, let's get into the gifts. I'm going to get a drink and maybe hug someone. Uh, so go ahead and start with the most, whatever gift you want to talk about. We'll take about each one, significance, yeah. attributes. Okay. I'm going to not die. I'm going to leave that up to Rain Raven on which one we want to go over first. Um, I honestly... I just want to go, you know, go in order of how it was told within the story. Start with Sif's okay. hair. Okay. Um, well, one, it's made of gold now. Literal gold. Um, which, that one was one of the more mild ones. It does grow. That was the craziest part to me was... Mm -hmm. Some dwarf used some magic that they know of in their forging techniques. He was like, you know what? I'm just going to make this hair where if she lays it on her head, it's going to attach into the root and it's going to grow as gold. I mean, there's one that, you know, we're going to go further in 
depth, but one a boat turns into a, a foldable piece of paper that you can put in your pocket. Another one's a necklace that you could uh, turn into a falcon. And well, that's not in the story, though. No, that's what I'm saying. It's just uh, they were created yeah. by the dwarves because the dwarves were dwarves. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because um, uh, fucking uh. Because of Freya's beauty, they were always encapitalized by her, so they were trying to sweet-talk her. Okay. I didn't know that. That's cool. We we learned things tonight, Wolf. me and you. You've never read the story, and I didn't know that Freya's necklace... (laughs) We're Singamon? Yes. Can no one say Freya's necklace? I I literally forgot it. Uh, I forgot the name of that one too. My I know. Like, I've never read a book before. <laughs> hey, I'm just trying to get back to you for last week. Hey, um, Gothar don't read certain parts of a book or a certain translation, and some forget names of amazing jewelry. Listen, I forget the names of my family members, so I, I'm fine with it. There's just weird things I do remember, like Brisingamon, because about five-ish years ago, it was um, discovered, supposedly, that there was an artifact in either Iceland or Norway that was discovered of the same exact measurements and things that were foretold in Brisingamon. It was buried under ice as Freya's necklace. Which causes many, many problems. But anyway, yeah, like if if someone writes it down and I look at the word, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what that is. But it's like purely, yeah. I just didn't know that was made by dwarves. I totally escaped my mind. I thought that was one of the Vonier things that she just brought with her. I didn't know it was made by dwarves. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. All the dwarves um want her, as do the Jotuns for Freya, obviously, same concept because well, you're in all these issues with the stolen Mjolnir. Freya, I mean, yeah, Freya is the female version of Balder. She's the hot and not human shit. Yeah. But anyway, Sif's hair, so yeah. She's like, she's like some really, really attractive tree. All right, all right. Keep it in your pants, White Wolf. Sif's hair. <laughs> um, you know, as Sifgaru Far says, it's purely like golden hair that uh gets attached to the head and it, it grows. And that's why um modern day now Sif's can be associated with uh the wheat, the harvest of wheat specifically, because of the way it looks when it's fully grown and getting harvested and everything, you make an offering to her for the bountiful wheat. Um, yeah, anything else you guys want to say about this hair? What is that? It's the amber waves of grain or golden waves. Same thing, exactly. What we said. Um, <clears throat> now this was a big challenge because hair grows naturally unless you're on my head. Um, but after that, like there's the dwarves had to create create a goal that self-produced and grew like hair. So we're dealing with things like drop near, but in a finite 
amount to grow a certain amount of time throughout days. So this is a really fascinating thing because it had to be as silky smooth, as nice to feel as everything with it. He didn't want to feel some clunky metal or something that's kind of like dying off. It had to be silky, exactly like wheat. If I mean, I'm sure there's tons of people that haven't felt like a wheat topping, but it's very soft and it just flows with your hand in each direction. It's that whole cascading effect you see on screensavers or some shows. Like it's true, true. it's true. Um, so the big challenge here wasn't to make hair out of gold. It was to make it as so amazing, like it was her own natural hair. That's my only bit is like emphasizing on like how expertly difficult that would be, and no other race could do that. I agree with our that that's insane to think about. Like the width of a human hair forged into gold. Side note, though, how strong is her neck? Other side note, she's the warrior of, or the goddess of fucking war. Pretty strong. Sith is? This isn't Freya. This is Sith. Yeah. Oh. Sith is goddess of war, too. That tracks. I mean, I'm learning tonight that I didn't know about this story, apparently. Holy yeah, fuck. I to be honest, I didn't, like, I never closely associate Sif with a war, but it, it tracks, because literally, like, almost everyone's associated to war in some aspect. And I don't want to demoralize into saying, like, she's a goddess of an Asiatic, she must be war. Now, Sif translates to Earth. Now, think about the world, and how well we get along. I hear uh, Ukraine and Russia are getting along really well. Yeah, exactly. She's like the Banksy <laughs> of the Ukraine. Let's avoid this. Oh, right no, no geo so, geopolitical. So, in theory, Sith is Earth, is what we're getting at here, okay? So, she okay. is, let's the most hippie say, say, Mother Gaia. Fuck you. It's Sith. Um, but now, think of all the things that happen on Earth, right? Now, Earth is to be said in theory and concept and all of our lore, fuck you. It shares a land with Yonai. Now, that itself is a war-forged combination. Right. right. So, constantly in war. Not even the fact that humans are dumb and fighting other humans. Humans are just dumb and we should all die. And then after the fact, fuck it. But so she as an entity, as a being, if the Earth, which obviously was forged by Ymir's body parts, was overlooked or nannied by Sif, not saying she is Earth, but she overlooks Earth, much like Thor is Earth's protector, would imply that Thor is Sif's protector as her husband and the matriarch, or matriarch to protect the wife. But that would mean the wife, in all of her wifely duties of which she has of Earth, is always in turmoil and war. Meaning it's other realms, other species, other races, not like white and black, you fucking morons, but in Jotunheim and fucking humans. That's a real race difference. But in the same sense of saying this and this and this, 
she's always in turmoil. She's always growing and all of a sudden uprooting. So the fact that he is Earth's protector, he may not be Midgard's Earth's protector like we see it. He may be protecting Mother Earth being Sif that is of Earth as the protector. He protects her best interests, and she protects ours, in theory, to keep yours right. out. And when you put it like that, it makes sense. I just never associated her with war, at least, at least not like Thor or Tyr is associated with war, or Odin is associated with war. I don't think she, that's. I think that's where that misconception happens. But I see what you're saying. It's it's a constant battle over the land, over the, and maybe she's more of the rebirth after war. And I think war is a loose and yet very specific term. Use war as a general analysis of argument. I'm at war with my brother. Like, no, you're just unhappy with each other. You're not cleansing each other's bloodline. Like, calm down. Um, I think war is a very loose term to be thrown around. Be like, oh, we're at war with so and so. Like, no, we just haven't come to an agreement yet. Like, I think that's kind of what's at with it all. Is like war and Dis disagreements and or fucking fighting every now and then is not war. Yeah, it's- we got off topic, but I kind of like where that's going because it brings into light a lot of other things where a lot of people associate the Aesir with just the war tribe. But war can mean many things, especially in their culture and their environment. I could see that meaning many different things. So I like where that, yeah. Yeah, I could see it. All right. you know, a war to... You know, what's his ass, uh, Tesla dude? Um, Elon Musk. Elon Musk, a war to him is the stock market. That's a war. Okay. Now, is he going into the sphere and stabbing motherfuckers? No. He might, he, I mean, he, he might be sending people. But he's combating on his own terms, his own terminology, his own sense, and his own demographic and discipline. So is war your discipline or a mere act of aggression? It's kind of, it's weird. Okay, I get what you're saying. I like where you went with it, yeah. Cracks. I'm not going to argue that one. Just so anyway, the dwarves that made the weapon, <laughs> the gifts. Yes. Yeah. So this hair, I just wanted to know how strong her fucking neck was, because I can't imagine carrying around like a sheaf of gold behind your head. All day, every day, until you go to sleep. Like no. that's gotta be hell. It, you know, even if it is as fine as a human hair. Like, have you ever got a haircut? No, yeah, I get that, but like, you know, I've had a hair they, lost. Does that count? They made no. uh, her hair grow. They literally made. They're making gold grow in a sense. You know, they could make it as light as hair is naturally. I mean, think of it as hair like the weight of gold but still trying to be as silky smooth and light and you know yeah i i don't see how that's possible but i'm also not a fucking dwarf if anything i'm a jotun yeah because you're giant i am dude's big (laughs) i met met him and i went hi and i hugged him here like below the belly button. <laughs> also, real quick, relief. Rain Raven, you're one to talk about hugging trees. Okay, calm down. Where did that come from? 
When you no, told white people I didn't say he was a hippie. Something similar. He said Sif was a hippie. This will make sense. This will make sense to everybody listening. You're one to talk about loving trees. I can't wait till Stephen Ufar realizes he's so wrong. So this will be great. You literally came out of left field from that. But the next, I said all. But the next object is Skid Bladnir. The ship. The famous yeah. ship that Frere has. That actually is meant to carry a host of the Aesir to war, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it? I... Could... No, no, no. It could carry the entire host of the Aesir tribe. Yeah, from my understanding, it, was, it can carry everyone uh, from Asgard. Right. That's That's how big it is, and it never has bad winds. Let's slightly... Slightly digest that. Now it's one thing to transport people one way, one place to another. Now think about how bougie and bitchy and demanding and particular the gods and goddesses are, right? So you're not just transporting, you know, get on the fucking train, Beeline will take you to the shop or to the next station, you'll be fine. This is food, feast, entertainment, progression and weight of all their weapons all their first hand second hand slaves what are you going to call them all of their people i assume as if you were to put thor on a ship if he can't walk across bifrost there better be some substantial weight ratio between him and a boat which is him eating nonstop, hopefully turkey so he sleeps, and then <laughs> booze till he's dead. Right? Well, so you these two things with one god, and like the whole host of Asgard, everyone. You're talking about Dune, which means her fruits must be contained, nourished, everything else. You're talking about everything. All their war tribes, all their weaponry, like that's insane to me. Yeah, and like food alone, like uh, in many stories, uh, Thor, he was one of, uh, I forget the exact story, but the gist of it is he was drinking out of a well because he was challenged to, or drinking out of a horn that was attached to the ocean because he was challenged to, and then the ocean level started draining and the Jotuns were like, wait, hold up, calm down, because it was... You know, it was set up where Thor would fail, but in actuality, he was succeeding. So, think of that amount of alcohol. The ocean level is lowering because of Thor's appetite. And they put that on a ship. Utgard Loki was a dick, and then he kind of paid for it and was like, oh, backtrack, he's... Bigger than that gut looks like. Holy shit. <laughs> so I think it actually measured a specific reference to something like two inches or something like that, that the ocean drops or two measures or something. Something like that. It references an exact measurement of two of something. I don't remember the measurement yeah. type. But... I can't remember exactly. But yeah, the story of Utgard Loki's Hall when Thor, Loki, and the two kids that they pick up along the way 
Yeah. Two kids they pick up along the way, and that's a whole other story. Anyways. Those kids are so important. I know. They are so important, but we're not getting into that tonight. Um, we can later. That'd be a good one to bring up. The ship that turns into the size that can go into your pocket. Now let's talk about what that looks like. And I always have, it's not, it's just my, my brain translating that to the ship of toning. So it's this whole concept of the ships that can navigate the realms and what that looks like an overall scale. Now, is this ship one that is commissioned obviously by the dwarves, given homage by the gods, anything, everyone there? It, to my knowledge, I don't know this. This is something that I'm asking genuinely. Do we know when that ship has ever actually been implemented or sailed with or on? What's your question? The ship, which yeah. I almost didn't think of because I'm just on that. Has that ship ever been used for transportation after the fact it was made? Going to Ragnarok? Is it? or Because the Ragnarok ship that is in question usually comes from hell from the toenails and the fingernails. Yeah, that's not fuck. That's for the Jotuns, but right. from my, you know, my interpretation and, you know, from my knowledge, it was Sklibodnir takes all of the Enyar, all of the gods, um, um, take them to the final battlefield. Okay. That's and why I, I always think of it as like a, like a fucking island, like a big gigantic island. It's a yacht. <laughs> um so like boat like on the north end uh you got the Azir because they're coming from Asgard so you know mm-hmm. traveling down um anyway. no anyway. why would it be the other way okay first of all cardinal direction don't fucking matter yeah. so uh, never mind oh okay well yeah <laughs> and then uh Nagelfar shows up from the opposite direction and they're they're marching to uh to each other that's how i've always in picture ragnarok the reason i really actually enjoy that concept and i'm gonna look it up while we're talking this whole night because that's my job um is that that would imply that ship expands every day it only gets bigger and never gets smaller because the host all in the in asgard and to host all the Enheriad would mean that everyone that has been taken and will be taken will be ushered or ferried on that ship. Which means that ship can only get bigger. I think it's... Sklobodnir gets as big as it's needed. Well, to your point, is that it would, all, it would host all in Asgard. Yeah. Which, Which means it doesn't matter how many in Asgard are joined between Freya and Odin. Yeah. It will always host those there. Which but, is um, interesting. Another fan, you know, something that piqued my interest and in, a weird fact that I knew, because Sklabadnir, it's, you know, 
the ship that gets folded up and it could get put inside the pocket. Well, when you're folding a single sheet of paper, you can only fold it seven times. Now, is that possible with Skladbladnir? That would come down to, it's not paper, so it might be folding more. Mm. I don't know, is so, that something I thought about? I think it references parchment, exactly, but parchment was thicker than paper in most cases. Well, and I, and I get it, like, that's a good point, because it would be, how many times could it realistically fold it? It would depend on the material that's not, I don't know, necessarily said, as opposed to the subject matter. It's like, I can only make 72 paper airplanes as a piece of paper. Now, if I had construction paper, I could make 83 or 15, because it's harder to fold. So depending on the material, I think it would depend on how many times it could be downfolded. So here's, here's my standpoint on that. If Sif's hair is a growing strand of gold, I'm backtracking a little bit, sorry. If it grows and it's gold and there's obviously magic involved, would not Skid Vladimir follow the same principles of not following principles of natural law? But no, it, the, the gold hair was designed for growth. The ship was designed for transportation. I mean, not necessarily growth itself. It's transportation and portability. And being able to be folded into A the pocket. size of someone's pocket. And then Ooh, always gosh. have favorable wind. My only, like, the bringing up the seven. Uh, was just like how many times does Clip Adnir get folded to fit down into a pocket? I mean, in theory, in this concept or how we're expanding it, as many times as it takes. Yeah. Right. The other thing that I want to bring up is I'm just full of random shit tonight. Am I the only one that thinks of Skip Adnir as like the paper boat that you can like fold out of a piece of paper and like set down the river? Yes and no. I've I've always thought of Sklibanner as the origami boat yeah, because it gets folded down, but yeah. when it's fully, you know, able to be float, it doesn't look like an origami right. boat. So in my mind, I see that little origami boat like floating across the ocean on fair winds the entire way, <laughs> on this island or whatever, and then all of the hosts of Asgard getting out of this little paper boat. <laughs> Like a oh. uh, like a clown car. Yeah, I picture the opposite. Really? I brought it before, but I I picture this ship as the one of toenails and fingernails because Hell and Loki don't many don't know how many Jotuns or dead they will be transporting. That ship must be able to grow itself. I mean, or is never done being built until they hear the horn. Right? Then they load who's there. Now, to me, is the same concept. It's ported. It's getting bigger and bigger. But the problem is, it's not there. When we say it's getting so large, it can expand. That to me, it doesn't get. To me, it doesn't get larger than the ship that comes from hell. Mm. I mean, I agree. the the source material for Nagalfar is creatine, which is your fingernails, your toenails, and that grows naturally. So, you know. We're talking about magic and everything. And, you know, when it comes to 
little uh, side topic when it comes to burial rites. You know, you always climb up your toenails, your uh, fingernails and all that. Not just for a presentation for, you know, the funeral, but don't try to help out Nagelfar as like as much as possible. I almost just reference the same thing and saying burial rites have clippings and maintenance on a human being, not for presentation, but for practical sense. Yeah. That's, that's all. Um, but since you were talking about magic and everything, could not the toenails keep on growing that are already there? And it, you just add more mm-hmm. toenails and then it, you know, it it's like one one toenails continuously grow and then you just keep on adding another toenail and it's you know it keeps on growing from there generally i would say i see what you're saying i I agree with that but to a degree and a certain point they do stop growing based on the host they're attached so for it to grow past a certain degree it's like clipping a toenail and expecting to grow like a pineapple or whatever else like it's not the seed. It's just growing from the cartilage from the host. That can grow for years, again, many, many years, decades, whatever that counts. But it does stop eventually. I mean, we're so also talking have- about a foldable ship and gold hair. Right. Or also, like, human toenails. Yeah. <laughs> it's so just the other way- pure thought. And because in, in reference, we're talking about this golden hair that can grow nonstop and be this amazing thing that we think is unattainable and incredible. And in hell, she's hoping for someone that can grow fingernails and toenails nonstop in the same sense. I think it's incredible to bait her or build her boat. We have the same concepts. Hers is toenails, ours is gold. But it's the same problem. The other way that I've always thought about Skid Blydenir was remember that scene in Harry Potter where they walk into the tent and it's just disproportionate. Like to me, one way that I thought about this a while back was you'd walk onto the deck of Skid Blydenir, you'd go under, and it would be totally disproportionate to what you see on the outside. But on the inside, it's way fucking bigger. I see what you're talking about. But yeah. That was another way that I always was like, yeah, that tracks. That makes more sense. But yeah, then again... Sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to compare it to that. In Dubai, if you go to that restaurant, that hotel, it's massive in architecture upwards, and then it takes you about 40 fucking floors underwater to eat dinner. So you're like, this is huge! And you're like, this is massive! Like, very different. You see one thing, but there's a whole other element to it. So, like, this seems like this, and it's twice the size. So, Dubai, that's all I'm saying. It's, like, similar. Yeah. So, that's always one way that I thought about that, was on the outside, it looks like a normal ship, or equivalent to what Nagelfar would be, and possibly it grows slightly or whatever, but when you bring magic into it and all of that, that we know the Aesir and Vanir have access to, wholeheartedly we know they do and obviously the dwarves can craft miracles so to me i was like maybe it's just disproportionate to the outside versus the inside of it and so the host of the all of valhall leaves the hall 
loads onto the ship, and when they get down into the ship, it's the same size as what Valhalla. Yeah, I mean it. It like you know, magic. There's no, there's no law behind it. And I don't know why, but your theory irks me, and I can't put my the whole like they sail to an island that bothers me for some reason. Mm. Okay. A reference to it, and I can't remember what, so I can't say you're wrong. I just know, uh, the final battle it's on Ether Plane, and I've always right. it's a have you ever seen like the image of the it's the island with the one house on it? Yeah, that's how I've always pictured Ether Plane. Okay, so I agree, but there are a lot of stories that it is. On Midgard, right, right. It's own. It, it. I swear, if it's that one stupid fucking island, <laughs> they nailed it. For millennia, no one knew that that had so much substance. But it is said many different ways. That I can find all different resources that it's going to happen on Midgard because the new Valhall and the. Uh, hall that's like a fire bringer or something like that effect. It's um, it's a fire shelter, which is the one that's held after Ragnarok, will be also held in the same plane. So it won't be a different realm. It's the same planes, but that's held. That's said to be had in Midgard esque. So, right. It's like Midgard will or Ragnarok will take place, and the residue of it will translate to Midgard, and or the actual planes are somewhere there. Now it could be that exact island, it could be Iceland, it could be the Arctic Circle, whatever else. But the theory is, once that happens, there will be new realms or new halls that open up, <clears throat> including the Valhall and the fire or whatever safety. It's the same place. So, so, you said they sell the island. I completely see that because in my UPG and studies, it will be an island, but it is weird that I see it on Midgard. No, and, you know, I, I agree with you on that because, yeah, that all that happens. Um, but uh, Gungnir... You guys ready yeah. to go on Gungnir? Thank you. From the ship to the spear. Yep. Yeah, because I was starting to dig. That was, thank you. Um, From the kill to the mast. Yeah. Well, Wait. if you want to describe Gungnir. Yeah. Oh, sure. Not probably really. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. From what I understand, I'm not even looking at shit. Uh, from what I understand, Gungnir was created to be a gift for the host of the gods. Now, mind you, this is a trivial pursuit. This is not a... This is the fun little shit to sail around in. He can travel. And like, oh, this is a meal there. It can smash shit. He can kill giants. He is a giant. That's not a problem. Right? So they gotta get something for someone that has it all. Well, he has it all, but knows it all. Right? So Gungnir to me is... The ultimate in a hunt, right? So this is a man that they see. He all he's the all-knowing, the all-powerful. He runs Asgard. He runs the nine, and he understands. 
but what's he lacking, right? Where could be better? And it's not that he could do better in combat, because, you know, he's not going to fuck with that guy. On his name alone, people count. But where he doesn't always excel is in his hunting. Now we say that like it's the wild hunt. And what's the most effective tool of a wild hunt if not an accurate weapon? So riding the realms, doing his thing, the most effective way for Odin to succeed in his callings of himself, to himself, for himself, is an accurate weapon. Now, the dwarves see that and say, what if we gave him something they could never miss? Now, don't get me wrong, it can dull, it can do all sorts of things, but will never miss, which means he can, like, close his eyes, picture it, throw it, and it happens. This is a wild hunt tool, as opposed to what we look at with bow and arrows, swords, and the freezing reins. This is the most effective tool in his arsenal that's ever existed. This is a spear. It was forged to strike, kill, and doom everything he wants it to touch. Not what it touches, not what it's near, what he wants. This is very similar to the sword of Frey. This is something that is built on the will of the wielder, which they designed for Odin. So this is a spear that he can throw at any time, never misses this mark, which means at Ragnarok, when he throws his spear, which also does not start but incites the whole battle, if he were to throw it in a different direction or towards a different target, what would it look like if it hit its true mark if he wanted things to change, right? So what would happen if he threw it at Benrir? What would happen if he threw it at Cert? at Loki, at what we're talking about in multiple scenarios of Ragnarok. He knows his shortcomings, he knows his downfalls. Now this is a gift to someone that needs nothing, but wants to prevent everything. He, they already know, and as much as he does, he can't stop it. But he's gonna fucking try. So this is a spear that was made to never miss his mark, no matter how it's thrown or who throws it, depending on the wielder. I don't have that enough justice because it's just build up, but that's what I picture that as. Yeah, and you named it right on the point. It's um, so while you were talking, I was looking up what like uh, Gungnir and another uh weapon that's going to be talked about later, Mjolnir. Um, mean an old Norse. In old Norse, Gungnir means swaying. So you know, um, why? Well, if you said throwing. You know, some people in their UPG, it's it, they depict as Gungnir as a spear that never leaves the hand, but keeps on like going and expands, and it's swaying through the battle to hit its mark. So it's like a continuous. Yeah, thing? it's it. It's like um, Inspector yeah. Gadget. Yeah, like an Inspector Gadget, like. Type of like his arm. Ragnarok. <laughs> but yeah, that you know, that's some people's interpretation in their depiction of Gungnir. Um it's never it's never thrown, it's pointed. But then there's some people, um, I agree with you, White Wolf, that you know, it's thrown and then it gets 
Um, I necessarily don't think it comes back to Odin because it's never said that it comes back. No one recovers it. Technically, if it was a standalone spear, it could be stolen. I can see how it's an extension, much like I would picture their astral projection set. Yeah, but at the same time... Yeah. But at the same time, like, Gungnir... You know, the only wielder that it's that's known to wield it is Odin. Now, try to think of someone else that has the same prowess and the same um, attributes. Well, not attributes, but like strength is a bad word because Thor's stronger. But like, you know what I'm saying? It's the, repu- it's the strength of reputation or kind his demeanor. It's it's like what's the mission or something like that. You know, if Odin throws it only he can pick it up, you know, like how Marvel does it, where only, um... Or can pick up the hammer. Or, uh, people worthy can pick up Thor's hammer and, uh, gain the power of Thor in Marvel. I did want to read this, because there's nothing, so in this one, in this translation of things, in this idea of things, um, when they describe the spear itself, it says the spear always pierced cleanly through, never stopping during the thrust. And I think that's where people are. I don't. So there's another thing in combat. Spears weren't normally thrown. Those were javelins of sorts or smaller ideas there. Spears were used as a thrusting thing behind a shield. They were they gave you the reach and the extension to go over a shield and into your target. Oh yeah, most definitely. They weren't really thrown. Those were more of a javelin type thing where that whole Greek bullshit happened. Yeah. But in this one it says it never stopped during the thrust and it would pierce cleanly through. Which would mean he wouldn't throw it per se by the chance of losing it, but instead would Stab. have a way to thrust right through which I guess that would that gets weird because that contradicts everything that I've pushed as it never misses but that's not necessarily what that translation says now there's probably other translations that do and other versions of the story that say it does but in the prose in this story that I pulled up out of this translation it pierces cleanly through and never stops during the thrust. So regardless if it hits ribs or does anything like that, it's not going to stop. Well, if it, if it has the extendo part, like, you know, I described and you thrust it, it's continuously extending and uh, swaying and weaving through the battlefield to go towards the target of the wielder. Uh, I've always thought of it as like, Odin has sniper vision and is like, I want to hit this guy in the left eyeball. And Gungnir's like, bet. <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> that's literally. So, no, that's, and that's, that's interesting because it is. It's not, it's not like he throws it in his mark. He can go here and he's, you know, he's the wild hunt. Motherfucker. He doesn't care about being in front. He doesn't give shit. Mm-hmm. So his spirit, he's like, you're irrelevant. I'm going to kill. Three people to get to the guy I want to kill, and so he goes like this, 
and the thrust never stops until it hits its mark. Now, it's not yeah. that it never misses its mark when thrown, it never misses its mark. So it makes sense that it would go until it hit. Um, right. Yeah. But, like, I've always, and I'm, I'm internally battling this, like, whether it's extending or if no one can pick up Gungnir for, you know, uh, but ultimate I think weapon. If, if, if it never misses its mark off the thrust, now I'm, you know, all over the place now, because I have side through, that's fine. Makes sense to me. But if he never misses off the throw, it's never out of his hand. Right. They can't recover it. If he's still thrusting, and it kills them, and he pulls back. No one can stop that that line because it's not independent. He never lets go of it, essentially. Right, and that's kind of the point I'm getting to is regardless if it's two, three people or beings, whatever it is, behind that, it's not going to stop on the thrust, mm -hmm. which is how this depicts it, which would mean he never really let go of it, which means there's no recovery. He didn't throw it, so it's not an accuracy thing. It's just that it's never going to stop moving through the thrust. Now, think, his accuracy is his accuracy. Yeah. He's Odin. Oh, for fuck's sake, it's Odin. I mean, he only has one him. eye, so... Atlas Wars. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. And he has one eye, so I'm going <laughs> to trust his name about as far as I can throw him, which probably isn't very fucking far. But if he's right in front of somebody and he's... For the sake of tactics, you've got the shield and you're going over. He's going to know exactly what he's doing. That's muscle memory to him at this point. But it's not going to stop until it's all the way through and he decides to pull it. So I get where the extending thing comes from, but yeah. I, I struggle with that a little bit. My, my, yeah. my whole thing is like, you know, Odin's not going to be the person that's uh, medium to short range only. He's going to want to kill people far away. And that's I'm bouncing in between of extending or throwing for I his long range. I basically see his spear as a stab that turns into like a ballista, but doesn't leave his hand. He sees the opponent and sees the, who he wants to on the hilltop, hypothetically. Dabs there, and it fucking goes. It never misses its mark. Now, his mark may not be the guy he just stabbed in front of him, and mm. then be 15 feet behind him, 15 people behind him, and it will go until it gets that person. So it's, I agree, like, in all of my Ragnarok, he throws the spear to start it, right? It has to happen. And that might be cited, but in no other way does he lose. Does he ever throw Gungnir? As okay. opposed to spearing with Gungnir. Now, spearing with Gungnir is the same as I went spearing for fish. I don't throw a stick in the water, I stab it down and pull it back. So, here's a misconception from what I understand. The spear that's thrown that everybody references is the beginning of the Aesir Vanir War. Ah, uh, careful. Why? Because uh, I think you're wrong. <laughs> Hold on. 
I'm almost positive it's at the beginning of the Aesir Vanir War. Aesir Vanir War. Jesus. <laughs> Aesir Vanir War, where he throws a spear through the hall. And that's where that war begins. Is when they cannot come to an agreement, nothing happens. That's where that happens, the very beginning of the Volusva. Oh my god, we have so many different renditions of this. They were never indoors when that was thrown, but we'll take our time with this, that's fine. I'm almost positive they were... It was an open field and he threw his spear into the fucking remnants of war that not herald but incited while the other helds were the ox, the crew in fucking three different realms. Okay, so a field or a hall, regardless, I think that's where that spear, not Gungnir, arguably, because the wherever time exists. Um, but he threw a spear. It's never mentioned that he threw Gungnir. It was just a spear. Not the spear, just a spear. Was thrown over... Oh, yeah, that's right. My bad. It's not in the hall. It's over the host. Uh, in the war between the two tribes of God, Odin led the Aesir gods into battle against the Vanir. He began the battle by hurling his spear over the enemy host and crying, uh, Odin owns all of you. The historical Norse repeated this paragmatic gesture, giving the opposing army as a gift to Odin in hopes that the god would return the favor by granting them victory. And the source for this is Turville Petri uh, in 1964. Title is Myth and Religion of the North, the Religion of Ancient Scandinavia, page 47. Okay. So I think the spear being thrown thing, now culturally, yeah. They used to do that before battles and it was a thing and they might have dropped one person. But I don't believe it is ever mentioned that he throws a spear during Ragnarok. Let alone Gungnir, his one weapon. Now, he may have thrown Gungnir, and that's why Fenrir can eat him. That's turn. That's possible. But I've, like, I've never read um, that. He throws it at Ragnarok, but please, why will prove us wrong? It tracks how um, Fenrir's like able to, in the end, eat Odin, and Vidar ends up killing uh, Fenrir and not Odin himself. But while he's inside, and more than likely still has Gungnir in his hand. If yeah, the, we went through this last week. Yeah. If, uh, Man, yeah. if God of War could fuck off for half a second, I'd get a better answer than what I'm fucking playing on. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, God of War is literally oh, every no, other time. Talk about this, what Ubisoft activated who gives a fuck assholes that are like, here's what happened in Ragnarok. Shut up. Uh, it, I'm trying to think of who made God of War. It's a uh, PlayStation Studios. Well, sure. Ubisoft made a. Uh, I almost said Ubisoft, but I yeah, don't know if it is. That's a Valhalla. That's not the Korean, is it? Yeah. Well, regardless, they're being assholes. But, you know, in Valhalla, you can still get Gungnir, which 
you know, little side tangent in the game, when you thrust, energy is protracted so it has a longer reach. See, and that's that's almost exactly where my brain went when we were talking about this, is the thrust doesn't stop until it's retracted. Is Odin is a war god. Yeah. And very well versed in magic. So maybe one of the things that Gungnir takes is his magic into account. And it was just a conduit for his magic. And that's why they say it won't stop. If you thrust this spear, it will not stop until you choose that it stops, which is then a projection of magic, not just the spear itself. In layman terms, Odin has the most profound and magical pullout game that's ever existed. Yes, but he sucks at it. All right, the next uh, the uh, the um, uh, object that we're gonna talk about, yeah. Um, yeah, I wish that was Odin. <laughs> the next object is gonna be what is it? Golden Bursty? Yeah. Golden Bursty! Golden Bristle! <laughs> cool. It's really fucking cool. Just the way this one works is it's a boar. It is an adamantine boar made from solid gold that can ride through the sky, over the sea, and it's just dope. I want to pull up the exact, like, what they say it does, because it's fucking cool. Those of you in Texas, um, not everywhere is burdened the same way you are. I know they eat your, you know, children and ancestors. Um, not everywhere hates boars. They don't always hunt them. But also, Why like, children? Oh, yeah. No, no boars do they eat children in Texas? They eat their bones. I know pigs eat bones. What do you think boars do? Fucking, I'm not saying they're not a problem. I just didn't know we had recorded cases of them eating children in oh, Texas. Yeah. Uh, why do you think, why pig, do you think that's a problem? Pigs will literally eat anything. I know they'll eat it. Okay, hold on, guys. Literally I know anything. Boars will take down jeeps just to kill you. All right, so the creation, I'm just going to read this. Sindri laid the pigskin in the hearth and bade Bork blow. So Sindri is Eitri, depending on the translation, and did not cease work until he took out of the hearth that which he had laid therein. But then he went out of the smithy while the other dwarf was blowing. Straight away a fly settled upon his hand and stunk, yet he blew on as before until the smith took the work out of the hearth, and it was a boar with mane and bristles of gold. Then Brook brought forward his gifts to Frere. He gave the boar, saying that it could run th through air and water better than any horse, and it could never and it could never become so dark with night or gloom of the murky regions that there should not be a sufficient light where he went such was the glow from its manes and bristles so that's purely like gulimbersi right there it's the fastest uh boar out of all the nine worlds better than any horse other than and i argue this uh uh fucking uh yeah wait what slept near yeah slept near that's the eight-legged horse. 
Um, yeah. yeah, that's where I argue that Slepnir is faster than Ghoulin Bursty because Slepnir's not a I traditional horse. They're not faster, but one can access the nine realms or one is just speed. Slepnir can travel to itself. Golden Bristle is faster than fuck, but cannot necessarily navigate the realms. And I think that's when they say faster means like not a linear timeline, but time and space concept. Sure. Is my, is my take on it, at least. I always thought it was more of like a sturdy thing. Like it could traverse over anything where a horse, if you take it up too steep a hill or something like that, it's going to stop. Whereas Golden Bursty is like, yeah, no, I got this. Yeah. If it's sturdiness, no one's going to beat a boar. That, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like 30 pound shit in a five pound bag. I think it's just stable as shit. Like, my, my like interpretation and visualization behind Golden Bursty, it's the best steed for, you know, it's better than any horse in every single way. It's, you know, if a mortal tries to come up and he's like, I have the best horse in all of Midgard, Gulenburst, he's like, I'll run laps around him. I'll do, like, the whole Olympics, and I'll beat and him. Bones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then you got Slepnir, which, which you know, why Wolf, you said he travels the nine worlds, but Gulenburst, he can't, I argue, because... That means he's faster. Because if like through time and space and you know that whole thing, I say Slipnir's faster because he can. So now again, speed to me has nothing to do with it. The only reason Slipnir, so in my mind, uh, Slipnir can travel the nine realms because he's a child Loki, not because of his speed or agility but because the navigational routes are embedded in his DNA that is Loki that knows the way in and out of every realm. In a sly sense or up front, he has more access to data and information of where to go and how to navigate it, not necessarily speed or time. Right, and that's in a foot race, like a flat-out foot race on a field. I would argue that Golan Bristy could possibly outrace them. I just picked up little stubby legs, like, like a teacup pig running for food. Like, and a client does me like, fuck off. <laughs> but then seeing this little golden bristled boar like start to outpace him, like, no, fuck you. And then jumps through like a fucking gate, just jumps into dark matter and pops back out of the finish line. Like, no, fuck off. I don't like you. Um, but yeah, so in like a foot race on a flat field, I don't know, maybe going Bristy's faster, maybe, but in terms of roving the realms, Slepnir's going to smoke her. I mean, Slepnir can smoke, I mean, arguably. Uh, the only person that can maybe beat Slepnir is Rathetesker on the realm, so that's kind of like a rough margin for error. But Radathoskir is not a steed unless somebody got really high on shrooms one day and, and decided to ride on Radathoskir's back 
Well, they got like super ballsy trying to uh, ride a squirrel that's literally trying to destroy its home. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say I can't see one of the gods being like on a drunken dare, like I dare you to go ride Ratatouska, and they were like, oh, I got this. Oh, Thor <laughs> would be like, hold my horn. You know, Thor is like, Loki, shoot me down. You, get Ratatouska. This is happening. Let's go. <laughs> see, and I, I always see it as somebody else. Like, it wouldn't be Thor on that one. Thor would be like, no, nah, I got food, man. I'm good. I'm chilling right now. It'd be one of like the lesser known gods like trying to gain clout among mm-hmm. the host of the ace here. Like, I got this. I'm a ride right tasker today. Comes face to face. Trying to show off to his dad that he could take up the mantle or some stupid shit. Yeah. Like stupid shit like that. And he comes face to face with fucking Nidhaug <laughs> down in hell. And like, oh shit. He's like, have... Eagle fucking shit. And Eagle's like, what? And everyone's like, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, the only person that could be slept near is Bradatasker, mostly because he, yeah, he's the embodiment he's of. World. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna fucking fight a squirrel? No, because you can't. <laughs> That's all Bradatasker does is run up and down between the worlds and along Yggdrasil. So yeah, no, fuck that. But yeah, Golan Bristy. The other part of Golenbristi thing, outside of his speed and sturdiness, is the light that he emits. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how dark it gets, how dark the night, how gloomy, how pitch black. Essentially, what it's saying is, even if Golenbristi rode into Niflheim and the darkness in there, where it's cold as shit, he would still shine and produce enough light to see by and to be able to traverse the area. So in a Midgard sense, is this something we're looking at as like a solar eclipse or possibly Halley's Comet? Like what are we looking at that has this kind of pronounced or profound effect on our skyline that we see not necessarily blinding light, but brightness in pure darkness in a sense? What could we use outside of, I mean, we can use the same example, but like, what do we see that could be Prey taking Golden Bristle to another realm and or whatever their intentions are? In our So we do this a lot. Like we, we say, okay, Thor rides the thunder, rides the lightning, we see the storms. You know, we have these, these similarities and comparisons to the gods and their transportation senses, right? Like these things that happen in our natural world that we can attribute to the gods. So how can we contribute or attribute Golden Bristle if, and this could be an if, it could be it hasn't done because it can't travel the nine realms. Uh, but it could be like, what would it look like to us if it hasn't happened already, or possibly does, that has golden bristle traveling the realms or at least past midgard that we could recognize and pay homage to the new heathen giving homage and we see something in the sky how do we say that's golden bristle that's freya or freya so what are our thoughts well I was trying to think, would it be an annual type thing? And I was like, well, no, because Frey doesn't travel the same way 
everybody else does. So no, it wouldn't be annually. It could be separated by a lot of time or a very short amount of time. It, I'm trying to think of something that would produce that kind of light. Think of a shooting star. Yeah, I can how, see that. How fast it's going, like in the night sky. And when you when we were talking about light and how much light it goes, whether it's all dark, mine is stars. Like millions of miles, thousand, like uncompromental amount of distance, and we see stars. Okay. And we can see them and all of that and they're still like that freaking far away but then you got a shooting star which is uh moving so that's where that would be the only thing that i can see but it like i want to say like a shooting star it's only a meteorite going by like that's you know the the science behind it so what is golden bristle if not passively passing by like it's a fleeting thing yeah but no, it, it the, doesn't show up on earth which means his bristle didn't bear width to fall off yeah but a shooting star is a meteorite going past the atmosphere increasingly burning so it's not actually a star it's a uh, a meteorite as a piece of rock okay okay that i, I think now, yeah but, i want up okay. like the, the light and intensity of a star and you know a, you're going out in the middle of woods and you look up that's the light that i see for golden bursty but when you see a shooting star going across um the sky that's the speed that i see it as where frayers uh transporting or you know riding golden bursty Okay, so for me, it's not a, a question of speed. Like, speed is exactly that. I mean, like, you can go plaid, and that's fucking fast as shit, right? That's ludicrous speed. But what we're talking about with golden bristle and shit is that it goes so fast, it burns out so quick, vice versa to comets, shooting stars. So we see comets as something gets to Earth's atmosphere burns out it's that right so what's there between that and we i mean me i answered it and i'm not really listening well enough a shooting star and a meteorite or whatever else like what's what's going on with the difference there i mean it's just you know if i see a shooting star that would be something i would you know be like oh thank you uh Freer, for giving me the you know giving me the ability to see you during your travels. That's where I would see the, the real life application and the homage. And, you know, the same as, you know, you're in a thunderstorm and you pay uh, an offering to Thor because he's actively fighting against Jotuns. I think so that's what your question was, was if you see something in real life, how, and you see... How can you attribute it to Google University? And that was me. It was a shooting star. And that to you attributes to that. Yes. That's the only thing that logically makes sense in my head. Cool. That so, makes sense to me. Just touching base on the shit. Here's 
my dilemma. Trying to Go think ahead. Mr. Krabs, fuck it up. Go ahead. No, 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 relax. Calm down, calm down. Um, I don't know. Do we have any record of Frey ever coming to Midgard? I mean, as the the god of the harvest, right? So, as opposed to attributed to many things that happen in Midgard, I thought there was one with Thor, but I can recheck that shit. I thought there was one, but it's not a story I can like openly admit to on the top of my head. And that's what I'm trying to think of because I'm like, okay, well, Bray is nature, right? So is he never not in Midgard? So, okay, this is this is where I'm gonna. Okay, I'm gonna fuck it up. Um, um, when he sends Skirnir to Gert, Frey doesn't go, and the Jotunheim is right next to Midgard. The Jotunheim and Midgard are right next to each other, but Frey doesn't go. He sends Skirnir. He sends his white, which is actually mentioned in the story. We found that out a couple weeks ago. Super cool. Or last week or something like that. I don't remember. Um, but he is referenced as a white. Skirnir is. So he sends a white. Now, would not Frey also do that with Midgard? And that's why we have so many land whites or house whites here. And I'm trying to think of any time that we would have seen Frey Mankind, not we, but mankind has seen Frey on Midgard. I can't think of one. Why Wolf said he might know of one. And I'm hoping something, but I can't think of any instance where Frey is on Midgard. So we wouldn't have any reference to Golenbersi showing up, whereas Thor is obviously thunder and lightning and fighting Jotuns in Jotunheim right next door. Odin we have tracked. Heimdall as well. What's like, up? Yeah. There's no documented that I know of. Because when I, when I think of Golembristi, I think of it as like, so we're in America, football, like the throne football, not the soccer one. Um, or I guess soccer works too. Any sports on a field. You have this big field, and oftentimes it's played closer to the evening time frame where it gets dark outside. You have all these lamps that are shining on the field, so you can see the field. But just outside of the field, everything's still dark. And that's kind of how I think of Golenbristi, not a bright, shining light that's everywhere, but a pinprick. So I like your reference to stars, Rain Raven. Perfect. But he would be a pinprick in the distance. But as you get closer, he casts a light out, but only for a certain amount of space. It's reflected light. Just like the moon would be, which was my initial thought was the moon. A full moon, but then I was like, nope, that's Monty. Arguably, they could be interchangeable, but that would be the closest thing that I can think of to Honor Frey, would be the full moon here on Midgard. A reflected light that we can see. Send it, White Wolf. I'm off. 
So you think one of the most biggest homage or contribution we could do to Frey is the full moon? No. I'm saying that's the closest thing that we could get to to honoring him other than the rainfall or the harvest of a field or something like that. But I can't think of a time that Dolan Bristy would be involved in. You mentioned three almost polar opposite things to mention one person. Is it the full harvest, which cannot take place during a rainfall? Is it the full moon that you cannot harvest during? Or is it a bright sunny day that would not attribute to the moon? Right. And that's what I'm saying. Dolan Bristy would not be seen on Midgard. Frey may show up during the harvest season, during the full sun, during those things, during rainfall. Yes. But I can't think of a time, because we're talking about Dolan Bristy, not Frey. Wait, I heard about Frey not visiting, not Goldenbristy not being seen. Well, we're talking about the story of Goldenbristy and the creation of Goldenbristy. So okay. we know it was given to Frey, but we wouldn't have reference of Frey or Goldenbristy riding past Earth or being on Earth. So, so I can do a literal or a metaphorical or both. Sure. Well, we still uh, have the other two to cover, and we're at yeah, 125. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, real quick. Um, if Frey is the god of, god of harvest, would not his steed be the thing that is harvested upon? I.e., would not a tractor be golden bristle? Swiftly sure. moving in tangent with the god of the harvest to ensure the most yield. I can see that. Right. Now that's the literal sense. Correct. Yeah. Now we're talking metaphorical, we're looking at a day that extends out in great weather or golden bristle reflecting the light of the sun, being to deter inclement weather in order for the most productive yield to have happened in a single day for a farmer being golden bristle in a metaphorical sense, saying the golden bristle of the sun reflects off its seal, off its quills and provides a sunny day for harvest, being the metaphorical. Yes. So in a day that doesn't always happen, and I will say right now, in the last two years, my farm has taken a big kick in the nuts because of temperatures and whatever else. Um, we started off our planting season frozen. It went a break ice and snow and dig through to find our yield or where we're going to plant. And we had to wait about three months before we could possibly plant because it was so cold. Now when we come to harvest time, we have to rely on lack of rain, lack of snow, and production of light. And so, one, we're providing on, or we're depending on our tractors, which I put Jetta on, which we attribute to Frey, which is Golden Bristle's mount, or it is the mount. And at the same time, we're depending on the temperature and time of day. 
as it always happens, is very rare. But there will be some sort of sacrifice or a thing done this year because of the late post of certain natural phenomenons or weather patterns. Um, so to me, Golden Bristle is not the boar he rides in on. It is the boar that provides what Frey wants. It facilitates his change. It moves so fast because you can go from hot to cold just like that. It's a tractor that wields or yields the wheat. It's also the one that keeps the sun on it to let it grow. That's my metaphor, my, my metaphorical and my literal conception of Golden Bristle. Now, I 100% every day of the week will say he does not stand a single fucking chance in a foot race against Slepnir. Fuck that shit. Eight legs, eight horsepower against two, fucking four more. Calm down. They're dedicated. They ain't that hard. All right. They'll run until they eat. It was maybe past that thing. It's not the same thing. You're a Clydesdale against a goat. Not gonna happen. But to me, the metaphor and literal of golden bristle is the harvest, the yield, and the growth. Okay. We'll have to agree. And I think I don't think we disagree. I think we're just thinking about this issue in a different way. Because I agree with everything you're saying. 100%. Yes. But in the question of have we ever seen Golenbrissi or where would he be on Midgard or what could we use as a reference or how... Nah. Different to me. But, alright. Dropnir. Let's get into Dropnir, the ring. Before we dive into this and we'll be going for four hours. So, Dropnir. The golden ring that was forged that on every ninth night, eight of equal weight and size, I believe. Yes. I just had to make sure you said size and weight. God, I love that with the resolve. It's so fast. I didn't even look at the screen. Size and weight. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Listen, no one understands what we're doing right now. Beforehand, the three of us, plus like five, had this whole conversation. I don't think it was on the last podcast. It may have been. On what this is, what Dropnir is, the, the relative influence, its attributes. We got this whole debate. I cannot do this Dropnir forge other Dropnirs that can drop more Dropnirs. Right? Sounds like nonsense. Was our topic of conversation. And now we got to the point where it's size and weight, but not ever attributed to attributes. So I love that. I'm sorry. I know you said it right, and it made me want to shit on all of us all the time. <laughs> so I was one of those was like, no, drop near makes other drop nears, and it makes other drop nears. Every ninth day, nine rings are produced, where nine rings produce other nine rings, and it became this like multifaceted, nonstop currency thing, where Rainer was like, no, idiots, it just says wait. And that's basically it. It's yeah. not the actual. You know, so, th their argument was, well, you know, Dropnir is given to uh, Alder when on his funeral pyre. Uh, drop near is offered to Gerd for uh, 
in the Skirtner Mall, and then you know Dropnir is uh, given to, or White Wolf said this, but I still have yet to find it, but Dropnir was given to Fafnir for uh, the gold uh, for him being crazy, uh, you know, going crazy it for it. Found in his hoard, not given to him, but yes, I understand. I mean, it, it makes sense because the the tribute uh, to Fafnir's father was given by Odin, which, you know, if I have unlimited amount of gold from a ring, I'm going to use that. So, yeah, it could be. Um, but anyways, drop near uh, each. Each of the drops are drop near, but you got the OG drop near, which is held by Odin. Um, it's like I've said this when in our discussion it was you got 50 billion Mona Lisa's, but you only have one Mona Lisa. So, and okay, yes, I agree. The one drop near was forged for the gods, yes, and it only drops eight of equal weight and size. But my argument will still be the dwarves could make more of that item. I'm not, I am, they could, but they. It's not the drop near. Arguably, the dwarves could make 5,000 Mjolnirs. They could. Same concept. This is not a a sheer will of power. This is an isolated gift of strength or a show of strength. This is not, yeah, Thor every day could drain the oceans five feet is an isolated incident that shows the prowess of their ability. Right. And I agree. It's in this story, yes, it is just this one and it drops nine or eight of equal size and weight. Every ninth night drops eight of equal size and weight, not the attribute. But to explain away the one that Frey gives to Gerd and the one that Fafnir has in his horde in the Volsung saga, I would argue that they have made more of these or something similar to it, which is also, there's this vast misconception of wealth is always a good thing, or wealth in that amount. I mean, when you think about the price of gold, even in our standard, if you have a ring, just a simple gold ring, even if it's just a gold band, that's 800 bucks in U.S. dollars, plus some, maybe, depending on the size of the ring. Maybe more, maybe less. But it's dropping eight of equal size and weight every ninth night. Now, as that builds over the years, you're just going to sell that. And it's you're wealthy beyond you could possibly be at some point. You wait a year and you have the who knows how many. Somebody can do the math. I don't care. But that's my point is the wealth aspect of that. And that's where in Lord of the Rings, the dragon sickness of Smaug comes into play. And that whole idea of he has so much gold that it becomes corruptive to them. And I, I believe that's what happened to Fafnir. The other thing we need to bring up is Fafnir was a dwarf at one point, according right. to one of our contemporaries. But, you know, J.R. Tolkien did, you know, uh, take a lot of inspiration from oh, yeah. uh, Norse paganism to write his books. Next item is Mjolnir. Yes. The short hammer that never misses. That is an attribute of Mjolnir that gets 
passed up time and time again, Mjolnir never misses its target. And can never be thrown so far that it cannot be returned to Thor's hand. This Thank is one of the few things that Marvel got right. Thank you, Marvel. She gets it. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, you know... Jordan Hammer never misses Mark. All is going to my hand. Oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> uh, but Mjolnir, um, it's so heavy, so dense. Um, it's, you know... I want to say, Sevira Ufar, you said this one time in one of our many calls. It was, think of, uh, you know, Stormbreaker from Marvel, and it's, you know, it's made from a dying star. That was its weight. And Thor, the strongest of all the gods, couldn't lift it with ease without his other two items that he was bestowed. His magical weight and his gauntlets. The yeah. way was to double his uh, strength and the gauntlets was able to wield and hold without, you know, damaging Thor's skin. Given to him by whom? Not by whom, by like, I won't get asked for names, but by what? That's escaping me. and girdle were both given to him by a Jotun S. Mm. Yeah, that escaped me. To defeat her own husband's trial. Yep. Um, yes, they were given by a Jonas, which brings into question a lot about Thor. But regardless, um, yeah. So Marvel explained away the weight of that hammer by, again, that scene in Infinity Wars, corrected earlier. Uh, where it's forged from the heart of a dying star. Now, I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson, doctor, dude, scientist, astrophysicist guy, that went and did the math on this. Yes, I will try my best to figure it out. Oh, is the Mjolnir math that just, like, would permeate? Anyway, yeah. Yeah. It was magic math, whether he was like, yeah, no, you're not lifting that up for shit. No shit, he has to have magical abilities. And it's I'm gonna. I'm not gonna say anything. But I'm gonna say the only thing I've heard about this is like they did the math and the science and all that crap that I can't compute. And they said even if he like if Thor, so in one of the movies or whatever else, he puts it on Loki's chest where it's, so he can't move, right? Like it pins him down. And the math was done based off the density of a star and like all these different things. And like if he even set it on you, didn't drop it, just set it on top of you. The pressure of that would crush you into the Earth's core and spit you on the side. But the problem with that with gravity is you wouldn't ever make it to the other side. You get to the brim about five feet, so you can see the brink and the Earth's gravitational pull. We get five feet from the Earth's core and pull you back in, and you get an infinite slingshot. Five feet non-stop from the lead you can never reach, and you would do that forever. Which is until the earth broke apart into a million teeny tiny pieces. <laughs> so dark and amazing. It's like, so, hey, hold it. And you're like, no. <laughs> so uh Neil deGrasse Tyson, um 
you know, he did all the math, and I have it right here. If Thor's hammer, and this is a quote by him, if Thor's hammer is made of a neutron star matter implied by legend, then it weighs as much as a herd of 300 billion elephants. After the quick sum math, it turns out that 300 billion elephants is actually 4.5 quadrillion pounds. Because each elephant is only 1.2 tons. That's crazy. That's a heavy ass hammer. Yeah, so I when I took driver's ed, I was in a this is gonna sound super douchey. I was in a, a Range Rover, a Land Rover, and our uh Range Rover, we'll say Range Rover, had hydraulic lifts built into the SUV. It was a one point two ton vehicle. Now a one point two ton vehicle is big. It's as heavy as an elephant. I took my driver's ed then because my family's douchey and we had a leather interior. It was like a fucking whole thing. And there were buttons in the center console. You get inside, you push three buttons and it would lift up the ground in like stages in order for you to drive. It was so heavy. It's base settings. It would destroy the tires and wheels. So we had hydraulics to do that thing. So I learned in driver's ed in the same tonnage of an elephant. And that makes sense to me that it was that many because that's how I transcribe it to, in my mind. It's like yardage to meters. I get elephant to tonnage to the thing I drove. And that's fucking crazy amounts of dancing. Anything so, else on Mjolnir? Yeah. Okay, um, okay, okay. I- it so I'm sorry, we might be going over time. You can stop me if I need to. But yeah, Mjolnir with its never missing thing. Thor can throw it as hard as he wants. It will never miss its mark. And then return to his hand. So keep in mind the weight of this thing. Now imagine all the planets in like some solar system going <clears throat> as it flies past, as its gravitational pull happens, and then getting Pulled together further on its way back. Like, this shit's crazy. Anyways, I know we're over time. I've yeah. never heard of Mjolnir returning to its thrower's hand outside of Marvel. It's in there. It, yeah, it's in the story. What, is it, what does it say? Like, because... Uh, all right, all right, ready? Are you ready? Then how does he get it stolen so often? Because he sets it down. Okay, so it's not. Stay in motion. So, so so it's the the spear. All right. Yeah. I'll just read the whole. um, Just rip it. Yep. I'll just rip it. Uh. So, if Thor. All right. Um. What what page, if you don't mind? Uh, ninety-three of the. I'm on. 30s. Alright. Uh, Penguin Classic, Snorri Storgerson, Prozetta. Uh, and if he decided to throw the hammer, it would never miss its marks, nor could it ever be thrown so far that it would not find its way back home to its hand. To his Knowledge. Thing. Is it his hand or the hand that threw it? His hand. His. But Thor's the only one that can wield Mario. it. Yeah. 
to its best effectiveness. Now, mm-hmm. Thor, Thor's hammer gets stolen, yes. But it's never said if the hammer is picked up or if the ground beneath it is... I mean, it, they pick it up and they put it in his lap. And that's the weird part that doesn't make... So maybe Jotuns are just that fucking big? Yeah. So... I mean, that's the, why... The is that I want to see Mjolnir, and they give it to him like it's fucking a remote controller. And they're like, that's Mjolnir. And he's like, yep, you're all gonna die now. Like, <laughs> like well, that's weird. But, I don't know. Mjolnir has a weird ring to me, because... It seems like there's a lot around a little, but there's a little bit is a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, like we said prior, I mean, I said it prior, uh, Thor was already killing Jotuns. He just got more effective at it once he got Mjolnir. Oh, yeah. It's, and, he it's, and he still, mind you, wielded Mjolnir. But he wielded yeah. it better when he got the gifts to wield it better from a Jotuns. He's a thick boy. Anyways, thank you all for coming and listening to the new Uppsala podcast. Um, I'm sure we will retouch on a lot of this stuff later because this is huge when we talk about Thor and Mjolnir and his prowess with weapons and his battle with the Jotuns as well as Odin and the spear Gungnir and the battles of Ragnarok, which I'm sure we'll touch on again. But thank you all for coming to listen. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We will see you again next week. Enjoy. Thank you. Bye. Bye.